Welcome to Passion Life Church. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Pastor Phil, thank you so much. We love your pastors, Phil and Valerie. They are incredible. And I think that we also have, absolutely, we should be giving them a round of applause. We've also got a very big heart for church planters because we were church planters and we are a part of a church plant currently. And there's something that you've got to just jump in with everything you've got and have no quit in you, have all fight in you. And that, uh, that would be uh, such a description of your pastors. And they just love people. They love this area, and they're selling their lives out for it. And we respect that so much. And so we love you guys. We did meet at a, at a youth conference. It's been forever ago when we were young youth pastors. Um, well, I was young. Um, and it's that dad joke. Get back. It's fine. Um, I could say I have the mic last, but I probably don't, because you'll probably take it later. So I should be quiet. Um, but I just remember what an impact he made on me there, and we've just stayed in contact ever since, and it's been incredible. He's uh, spoken into our lives when we were getting ready to step out and plant a church, and uh, we, we just love you guys. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I don't take this lightly. I know this is your platform and your pulpit, and so it's such an honor to be here, and thank you for having me. I brought my daughter with me because it is Father's Day and brought her all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. She's beautiful. She's 13, which is insane. And uh, so we're hanging out. I'm going to take her to the zoo tomorrow, and then we're going to go to SeaWorld and just experience all of San Diego. It's just going to be awesome, and we're just having a great time. And so she's pumped to, to hang out with me this morning, and uh, I'm just I'm excited to be here. And I believe God's got a, a word for us. I really do. This has been something that's been stirring in my heart, and uh, I, I often believe that pastors preach and minister out of what God is ministering to them and, and at best. And I feel like God's been just doing something in me. And I hope that I can communicate that well enough today that I believe that God's got something for you that's been going on inside of me, and I'm just believing for that. And so if you got your Bibles today, we're going to jump right in. If you don't have your Bibles, I think we've got it for the screens today. But we're going to look at Hebrews 12, and this is going to be kind of the crux of our message today. Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 17. I'm reading out of the message version this morning, and it says this. It says, work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity and keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. And this is what I really want you to hear today. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. Today I want to talk to you on the topic of the Esau syndrome. The Esau syndrome. I, I really believe in, in taking notes. So if you're a note taker, I, I'd write that down and get ready to, to uh, take some really good notes. I believe note takers are history makers. I also believe that the more you respond in a message, the more you can take away from it. And, and, and then honestly, preachers preach better when people respond more. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, that was your time to say amen. Yes, that was good. Okay, fantastic. You're doing great already. So proud of you. Uh, and then we preach shorter too. And you're just like, amen, amen to that. I, I've got a pancake breakfast to get to. And so... But uh, we're going to talk about the Esau syndrome. Will you pray with me before we go any further? I just want to ask God to be with us and to speak to us clearly today. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this, this church and this environment, this atmosphere that's already been created. Father, I, I thank you that as our praises have gone up, God, you, you're already here. 
you're with us, you're speaking to us, you're already changing us, challenging us, equipping us, making us better today, God. And I pray that you would speak directly to each and every single one of us as individuals. Whatever we've got going on in our world and whatever we need to hear from you today, God, that's gonna make us better and move us closer in our relationship with you, would you please do that this morning? God, I pray you would use me to speak truth and insight and clearly. I pray that these are your thoughts and your words and your message and not mine. I pray I would decrease today and you would increase in me. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, I've been married for coming up in February with 15 years, and we have two kids. I have a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and I'm missing my wife, but she's back home holding it down at church, and uh, she's incredible. She's an amazing woman. Uh, she definitely, I married way, 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 way up. You know how guys are like, I married up. It's like, I married like 27 steps up. Um, a lot of times it's like, how did you seriously get that? And it's like, it's the grace of God, my friend. It's the grace of God. Uh, I feel like my life is uh, the depiction of grace because she just walks in and they're like, oh, that's what God's love looks like in physical form is Todd got Micah. Um, and uh, she's just amazing. But she has these funny sleeping patterns. Uh, that she's actually uh, passed down to my two children. It, she talks in her sleep, and it's, it's intense talking. It's not like just like having a small conversation. It's full-on, at times, yelling. And then she's passed that down, actually, to my daughter, who I will be walking by her bedroom at night, and it's like she's literally at the top of her like, no, 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 no! And I'm like, what is going on in that poor girl's dream right now? And it's like you want to wake, wake her up, but you don't. And then at the same time, you want to listen in and see what's going on. But it's randomness. But then she passed on to my son. He's a sleepwalker. So that's, you know, even scarier. And sometimes he does things he really shouldn't be doing, and it's awkward and odd. Um, you can fill the gaps there. Uh, but she, she will wake up and just have full-on conversations. And then at times, she'll just sit straight up in bed. But it's not like a slow sit-up. It's like she rockets out of a laying position to straight up. And it scares me every single time. And, and it's like I'm in a dead sleep, and then she's sitting straight up. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, whoa, breathe. And then she'll, she'll just start talking to me about the most random things. And I used to get mad because I didn't fully understand the comedy that was laced within this situation. Um, I, I, I quickly learned after getting frustrated that I could actually talk to her in the middle of her dream and she would interact with me and this was awesome. <laughs> so she would start things like, she woke me up one time, she sits straight up, Todd, there's somebody in the house and I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> and she's like, what are we going to do? You need to go downstairs and see what's going on, babe. And she's like, Todd, no, I can't go downstairs. Yes, you can, because I can't go downstairs. I'm weak, I'm frail, babe. And she's like, Todd, no, no. <laughs> and she starts to begin to realize what's going on. And, and then there's other times when I'm messing with her. And she's like, Todd, why do you do that? Well, why do you do that? Why are you waking me up? It's only right and only just that I would reciprocate what you're doing to me. Because this is messed up. So this is what I deal with on an ongoing basis is these sleeping patterns. But what I've realized is that when she's in this, in this state, she's delusional. She's absolutely delusional. I can tell her anything I want. I can convince her of anything I want. And really what it means to be delusional is to mislead the mind. And it's so fun and so messed up to mislead her mind because she's like, Todd, something's wrong with the kids. I'm like, babe, it's so bad. You have no idea. You have no idea what's happening right now. And she's like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I think we might lose one. And she's like, no, Todd, no. And then she starts to wake up. <laughs> but it, it's so fun to mislead her mind to a place that's not real, never meant for her. And, and, and it, it, it just, it's not what was meant to be. And 
really, that's what's the problem with Esau, is Esau's mind has been misled. The syndrome here for Esau is not that he's cursed, it's that he's overly blessed and never knew it. He, he, he misled himself so much that he missed out on all the things that God had for him, and he missed out on the blessing that God had for him because he allowed his mind to just be misled. You know, I think about, about Esau's situation, and what I've learned throughout my, my Christian walk is that most people, when they read the Bible, they attach themselves to the main characters. We all want to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We all want to be Joseph. We don't want to go through the trials, but we want, we want the, the crown. We want the big thing, and we're like, we attach ourselves. But what, what I've learned is that I, I'm actually Esau. And what I've actually come to grips with is that we're out, actually, Esau. We, uh, we all have Esau tendencies. We all have Esau mentalities. So, so let me tell you about Esau a little bit. Esau basically was the oldest of his, uh, of his, of his siblings. And, and with that, it came with a birthright. And that birthright was a double portion of everything that his father was going to give him and the rest of the family. And it wasn't just a double portion. It was also he was going to experience and be the patriarch of the family. And that, and that comes with more, more things, more wealth, more notoriety, more. It just comes with more. And the problem is, is he, he gave this thing away. He gave this birthright away because he was hungry. He comes in after a day of hunting. And he's been, he's been working, he's tired, he's exhausted, he comes in, and his brother is, is basically preparing soup. And it must have been really good because he walks in and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. I, I need some of your soup. And his brother Jacob kind of recognizes the situation and he's like, yeah, okay, you can have some. And he's like, good, because I'm starving and I need it. And he's like, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Remember, now what is the birthright? It's a double portion. The patriarch of the family. This is a big, big deal. And Jacob's like, I want the double portion. I want to be the patriarch. I want it all. So sell me your birthright for a bowl of soup. Now that sounds insane when, when, you, when you materialize it that way. But Esau's like, what good is my birthright if I die? Now, I don't know if you've ever been hangry, but that sure sounds like a hangry statement. Like you come in, like I'm the most emotional person, especially when I'm hangry. Um, those, Snickers, those Snickers commercials, yeah, that's me. That's fully me. Like, um, and it, there's no rationale mindset. He comes in fully hangry. He comes in fully exhausted. He smells the food. He's like, oh, that's amazing. And he's like, I, give me some soup. Sell me your birthright. What good is my birthright? Forget my birthright. Give me the soup. And then he eats the soup. He doesn't ever think about it again. But Jacob took it seriously. Jacob wanted the birthright. And, and so this is where we can be like, Esau, this is a mess. How, how could you sell your birthright? How, how could you be so careless? Even the scripture that we opened up with at Hebrews, it's ripping him apart. How could you be so careless? This syndrome, this mindset, this way of living. But the problem is, if you really think about it, I sell my birthright all the time. I give my birthright away all the time. And, and to be honest with you, so do you. If you don't understand what I'm saying is that, so when Jesus came to earth, died, rose again, he became the king. And not only did he become the king, he also became the, the leader of our lives. And with, and with him, we became heirs and co-heirs with him. So he established something for us. But I will trade my birthright, which is an heir with Christ, which means I have a double portion of what Christ has. I will trade it all the time for worry. 
I will trade it all the time for doubt. I will trade it all the time for bitterness and unforgiveness and selfishness and frustration and lies and deceit and I will manipulate and I will jack my life up all the time and I will trade my birthright for basically the equivalency of a bowl of soup. And if you are real with yourself today, so do we. So we can easily cast judgment and throw Esau under the bus, but what we've got to understand is that we are Esau to a degree and we've sold our birthright for a bowl of beans more times than we probably should ever even count. And so to help us understand something, we've got to understand why he's so delusional. To get us back to a place where we are, are not just operating in this life and just kind of kicking through life and moving through life, but that we are overcoming in this life. Because Esau was meant to have a double portion. Esau was meant to be the patriarch. Esau was meant to have more than enough. And Esau was meant to experience the fullness that God had for him. And that's the same for us. You are, ex you are meant to experience the fullness of Christ. You are meant to experience the more of God. You are meant to experience that above and beyond all that you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. But if we were honest with ourselves, are we? Are we experiencing the greatest parts of God? Are we, is our life being full of his purpose and his plan and, and his destiny and all the blessings and giftings and things that he has for us? Are we experiencing it? And, and to be honest with you, that's the tension I've been feeling. God, dude, am I experiencing everything that you have for me? So let's look at Esau's situation. Because there's more going on than just selling out his birthright. He, he grows up in this situation with his brother. His brother uh, wants his birthright. And, and he, he's going through a transition with his father. Isaac is old. He's basically blind. And he's ready, to, he's ready to die, and he's ready to move on. He's an old man, and so he, he calls Esau in. He says, Esau, go hunting, catch me my favorite food, and bring it back, prepare it, bring it back, and then I will bless you. Now, this is the messed up part. You want to talk about dysfunction in a family. The mom hears this and says, wait, Jacob, your father's about to die. He's told Esau to go prepare a meal. He's going to bless him. Why don't you do this? We'll prepare a meal together. I'll send you in, and you'll get the blessing for him. And he's like, whoa, Mom, Esau's hairy, and he doesn't look like me, and we don't really act like, how am I going to pull this off? She's like, we'll, we'll kill a goat. We'll prepare it for Dad, and then we'll wrap the goat hair around your arms. First off, how hairy do you have to be? that you wrap yourself with goat hair, and you're, you walk in and be like, feel my arms, and he goes, yeah, that's Esau. Yep, that's, that's the right texture. Yep. Come on, it's called nair. It's called a razor. Anything you can think of. Have a goat, come chew it off. I don't care. I just don't get that. So they prepare the meal. The mom's deceiving, and, and Jacob goes to walk in. He's like, Mom, wait, what if he finds out and he curses me? She's like, let the curse fall on me. Let's at least try. I mean, it's deceiving. It's, it's messed up. And, and Jacob actually is a deceiver. This is the root of who he is. This is the thing that's going on inside of him. And so he takes the food in. He gives it to, to dad. Dad goes, who's there? He's like, it's Esau. He's like, you don't sound like Esau. He's like, come here, let me feel your arm. He feels, yep, that's Esau. He eats the food. And then he prays this blessing over him. And the, the blessing is pretty crazy. It's in Genesis 27. And it says, from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. 
Many, you guys can understand that. We're in wine country. We can just go drive and pick some grapes. Many, many nations become, may many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master, watch this, over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. It's amazing. So what happens? He gets this blessing. He literally takes, okay, dad, thank you. He doesn't really care about dad. He's like, got it. I'm out. He walks out. And as he's walking out, Esau comes walking in. Dad, I've killed the the goat. I've prepared it. And dad's like, wait, who are you? I'm Esau. You told me to go hunt. I hunted, prepared the food. Where's my blessing? And Isaac's shaking. He's so mad. And he's like, wait, your brother just came in here. And stole your birthright. And he's like, no, 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 dad. Wait, wait, what do you mean? He's like, I have no more blessing for you. And, and, and Esau's like, no, bless me too. Bless me too, dad. Bless me too. Give me something. He's like, I got nothing else for you. I've got nothing to give you. And he's like, of course my brother the deceiver would come in here and take what is rightfully mine. Of course he would take my blessing. And of course he would take this moment. And he gets so angry and so fed up and so uh, just beyond the situation. And, and so he's like, dad. Dad, will you just please, please bless me too? He's like, I got nothing for you, but I'll, I'll say this over you. And we see in, later on in verse 39 and, and through 40, it says, you will live away from the richness of the earth. That's not a good start already. It's just, I'm sorry, Esau. And at that point, I'd be like, Dad, just stop. Dad, Dad, no, no, it's good, Dad. No, stop. I don't, I want to live close to the, nope, okay. You're going to keep going? And he says, You're going to live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. It just isn't good. But Isaac gives him a caveat. And he actually gives him a way out. But Esau's so mad that I I wonder if he even heard what his father was saying in this moment. That he got lost in what seemed to be the curse, and he got lost into what seemed to be the deception that he locked on that his blessing, his life, his abundance, and everything that God had for him had just been taken away from him. And to be honest with you, I feel like a lot of us feel that way. Is we feel like this life that was promised or this life that when we got saved and we were like, we're going to step into something magnificent, we're going to step into something amazing, and then life happens, And it's like, well, God, where is your blessing? God, where is your favor? I see you blessing them, and I see you blessing him, and I see that family and that church and that ministry and that life. Well, where's mine? And Esau gets so caught up that he's lost something because of somebody else that he can't hear his way out. And Isaac says to Esau, but when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Esau walks out. He's so angry with his brother that he blames his brother for his situation. He blames him for losing his birthright. He blames him for losing out on his father's situation. He blames him for everything. And he says to him, so he says, isn't, isn't that just right that his name is Jacob, the deceiver? I'm going to mourn for my dad. And when this time is over, I'm going to kill my brother. Well, the mom hears this. And so she goes to Jacob and is like, yo, everything's going down. So I can't lose both of you in the same day. So I need you to go to your uncle's and go stay with him. Run, flee, get away. Your brother's angry and you know what he can do. So let's go. So Jacob goes. 
And, and we see that this transformation that happens over years with Jacob. He, he gets married twice, and he earns all of this livestock, and he has all of these things going on in his life. And uh, he, he has this experience with God over and over and over. And, and he decides, well, God actually calls him back to his homeland. He says, I want you to go back home. I want you to leave where you're at, and I want you to go back home. This whole time, we hear nothing of Esau. Esau's left back at his homeland with this curse, what seems to be a curse. And so Jacob, just like us, because we haven't seen what's going on, is probably assuming, well, Esau still wants to kill me. Esau still wants to have this situation with me. Esau's going to try to take me out. God, how can you do that? He's like, go back. I've got your back. You're good. Just head back. And Jacob, on his way back, is alone. He sends his family across the river, and he's, he's there alone, and he has this encounter with, the Bible says, a man, but it's, it's God. And I love how the Bible will under-explain something, or just matter-of-factly just put it out there. And, and this is kind of one of those situations in Genesis 32. It says that this left Jacob all alone, because he, he had sent his family on, in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him. What? Like, I don't know, does, do you ever just stop and read the Bible sometimes and be like, wait a minute, that's so random. Like, it's not, that's not a normal, that's not a normal occurrence, right? You know, you're camping, it's cool, a man came and wrestled me. Wait, hold on, go back. You're camping and now you're wrestling? Yeah, it was this crazy thing. Jake came over and we were wrestling. What are you talking about? Like, it's just insane. And so, like, look how, just matter of fact, Jake was left alone at the camp, man came and wrestled with him. Cool. Until dawn began to break. It's just funny to me. And so they're wrestling. And, and what we know is that th this is God. He's wrestling with God. And Jacob keeps fighting with him, and he won't let him go. And they're not just wrestling. Like, this is a long wrestling match. And it's going on until the morning. Day is breaking, and now the man says to Jacob, let me go. And he's like, no, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And you know, when I would preach about Jacob in this situation, I've preached on this several times, I, it's such an amazing thing. God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And it's like, I've encouraged people, don't let go of God. Don't let go of God. Get your blessing, get your blessing, get your blessing. And the funny thing is, Jacob, aren't you actually blessed enough? Like, think about it. It lists off all these things that Jacob is coming back to his homeland with, multiple wives, Hundreds of thousands of dollars in livestock. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in money and, and precious stones. And, and he's got servants and children. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's basically like a huge army of people moving back into his homeland. And he's sitting there and he audaciously says to God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And there's something inside of me that, I, that causes me to get, like, honestly insecure about it. It's like, Jacob, how can you ask for more when you are so overly abundantly blessed? What is wrong with you? But I love God's response. God doesn't correct him. We, we correct. We, we do this. When we see people, like, are super succeeding, and it's like, don't you have enough? Like, do you need more? Like, we, 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 I don't know. I've done that. Like, sometimes you see churches that are just blowing up and exploding. You're like, wait, don't you already have enough pastors and leaders and people? Like, can you share some people with me? Because, gosh, I could use some help over here, God. And they just keep growing and keep going, and things are just moving along. And so we kind of get a little attitude about it. It's like, that's so messed up. But that's not God's process. God doesn't even correct Jacob. 
God doesn't actually get out and list all the things. He's like, Jacob, are you kidding me? You have two wives. Two. You have all this livestock. So basically, it's like you have all this money. And you want me to do what? No, God just says, I'll bless you. I'll give you more. No longer are you Jacob, you're now Israel. And you're going to have beyond what you even thought what my blessing was going to be. We see this also in the New Testament. There's two brothers that are disciples of Jesus, and they, they're called the Sons of Thunder. I want to know how you get that nickname, though. Like, what went on with Sons of Thunder? What are you doing? And this is, again, mom. Mom steps into the middle and says, come on, boys. We're going to go talk to Jesus. That's funny, because, like, I wonder if later on when she got to heaven and realized, like, Jesus was the Messiah, and she's like, sorry, I didn't really get it. It's my bad. But she goes up, and she's like, Jesus, listen, when you come into your kingdom, I want my sons to sit at your right and left hand, and I want the blessing that you have on, on your life to be on their life. Wouldn't you think Jesus would go, what is wrong with you? First off, mom, can your sons talk to me on their own? Do they need to hide behind you? Like, you really put yourself in this situation because it's, it's, it's extremely audacious. It's actually extremely ridiculous to come up. They don't even know really what they're asking. And that's what Jesus says. like, you don't really know what you're asking. They're thinking he's going to have, like, government takeover. He's going to take over the Romans. He's going to be this king, this president, and that they are going to sit on the right and left hand of the king uh, in, on earth. And he's like, I ain't the king on earth. I am in heaven. And you don't know what you're asking. He says, but... He doesn't, he doesn't reject him. He doesn't say, what you're asking is too big. What you're asking is ridiculous. What's wrong with you? He's like, you can't, I don't know if you can drink from this cup. And they're like, no, we can drink from the cup. They don't know what they're saying. That's a statement you know they wish they could take back. I didn't want to drink from it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. It was bad. Don't drink from it. Um, and, but I love it. Jesus and God do not reject us for our audacious requests. And it, it, it got me thinking. How many of us actually limit ourselves from experiencing the fullness of Jesus? And then it got me thinking, wait a minute, did Esau actually limit himself? And he missed out on his own blessing because he blamed somebody else. And he missed out on what God had for him because he thought it was somebody else's fault. And he missed out on, on what all God had for him. Because he blamed the situation, the circumstance, or he just wasn't strong enough to just step into fully what God had for him. I'm learning that God wants me to just be ridiculously audacious. I'm learning that when I limit myself and I think I'm being humble, God's going, dude, stop it. Will you believe more? Will you believe bigger? Will you stop limiting your life? And this is, this is Esau's... This is Esau's syndrome, and this is where I so connect with him. But I love what happens is because things begin to change. And we see Esau, or, or Jacob's coming back. Esau hears about it, and he goes to meet Jacob. So still to this point, we don't know that Esau is in a good place or a bad place, and neither does Jacob. And what's really funny is Jacob's like, okay, if he attacks us, I should split up my family 
And that way, if they attack one group, the other group can get away. Well, it's funny how he, he sections it off. Again, this is another piece of the Bible. He puts what basically is least important to him in front, and, and he incrementally goes back. And he's like putting like kids and wives in front, you know, and it's like, dude, that's so messed up. Could you imagine if you're in that group and he's like, you're going to go first. Oh, dad doesn't like me. <laughs> so messed up. So it says in Genesis 33, it says, Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with 400 men. He got really scared. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children in front. And then Leah and her children next. And then it's, like, and then it's Rachel. And he's like, I love Rachel. You're my boo. And then last, Joseph, because Joseph was what was most important to him. Then Jacob went on ahead. Now, at least he went first. Could you imagine? Okay, y'all go, and I will follow behind with Joseph. <laughs> Be messed up. But he didn't. He went ahead. He went first. And uh, this is amazing. It says, then Esau ran to meet him. In, in, in Old Testament time, leaders like Esau and Jacob would not run. They, they would not run. When the prodigal son comes home and it says the, the rich ruler runs to his son, that, that's not, that would have not been normal. And what it's saying is that this, this person, this situation is so important, he's throwing off all, dis, he's throwing off, dis, and he's disregarding concern about how he will look in the moment because he cares so much, loves so much, wants to embrace his brother so much. And he, ran, he runs to meet him and embraces him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. It's an amazing experience. But you know what? What's crazy about it is it, it, this doesn't sound like an angry, bitter man. Remember when we, we left off with him and when Jacob left off? He's angry. He wants to kill his brother. you got to be extremely ticked off to want to kill your brother. And so when, we, when he leaves, he's angry. But when he embraces his brother and they've been separated for such a long period of time, now we see this different man. I love what Mekon Carter says. He says, when you can embrace the thing that hurt you, it's a good indicator the yoke ain't on your neck no more. Doesn't sound like somebody angry. It doesn't sound like somebody who, who feels abused. It doesn't sound like somebody who has regrets. It sounds like somebody who's blessed. And my question is, is somewhere along the way, did Esau wrestle with God? And we never get to see it. We never get to see the interaction. Did somewhere along the way, did he take this yoke of bondage and shake it free from his life and say, it's not my brother's problem. It's now God's problem. And I'm going to go to God because it doesn't matter what my dad said. It doesn't matter what my brother did. It doesn't matter what anybody else does in my life. I'm blessed. And I'm going to step into this blessing that God has for me. And Esau begins to believe actually what was meant for him. Dad, you can say whatever you want. You can give me whatever you want. I can start at negative 10, but God's got more for me. I'm going to step into greater days in my life because my heavenly father says so. It doesn't matter what dad says. It matters what my heavenly father says. And even though that blessing was important, even though that thing meant something, God's word is greater than any man can explain to us. And I love the way Esau's mindset changes. Look what he says in verse, uh, Genesis 33, verse 12. He says, well, they have this conversation. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. His brother's the patriarch. Jacob's the patriarch. Jacob's the leader. But Esau says, I'll lead the way, bro. I know you got dad's blessing. 
I know you got double portion, but I got more than you because I got God who's fighting for me and God who's blessing me. And you know what? Now my mentality's changed and I'm overly confident about who I am in God. And so, bro, you're going to follow me now. And I love Jacob. Jacob says, cool. There's something we need to learn from this. I believe too many Christians today have hit walls in their lives. They've hit thresholds of hard in their existence with their relationship with Christ and the tension that they have that's keeping them back from experiencing all that God has for them. You know, there's, there's quotes of, uh, in science that say that we only use like 3 to 10% of our, our brain capacity. And we know how quotes are. 80% of the time, they're right all the time. Whatever. Um, or statistics. But it got me thinking, how much of our faith do we actually step into? Like, do we actually you only use like 3 to 10% of, of our faith? Do we actually believe only 3 to 10%? Like, what is the measure of our faith that we believe? And is it, can it be increased? And can it be uh, exponentially grown? And can it go to, to, to completely new levels? Um, so I want to give you three things that I believe can help you. And they're going to be quick because I've got like eight minutes. But here's the reality. Your greatest power is your power to choose. Your greatest power is your power to choose. So number one, when you decide, you can do what needs to be done. Esau had to come to the place where he decided for his own self that he was going to be blessed. Esau had to come to this place where he says, I'm going to shake free from the bondage that is on my life. I'm going to decide for myself that I'm already blessed, that I've already got more than enough, that I've already, I'm the head and not the tail, that God's got a great plan for my life, that my wife is going to be incredible, my children are going to be amazing, they're going to be blessed and healed and whole, and they're going to have an incredible ministry, life, experience, business. God's got more for me, and when I decide, I can do what needs to be done. And so what, what does that mean for you today, though? Is each and every single one of us have a step to take in this life? Here's the thing is that we can come into church and we set up these moments and these experiences and people want deliverance, but they don't want the process. We want to walk in and Jesus just takes care of everything. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm not doing anything. Make my life perfect. And when we walk out and everything's still the same, we're like, well, this ain't working. It's a process. Jesus is at work. And if you will take a step today, whatever that step is, that step may be saying, I'm committed and I need to go to growth track. That, that step may be, I'm committed and I need to jump on team. That step may be, I, I, I came for the first time because a friend invited me and I need to make this my community and I'm going to jump in and be a part and serve and however I can and just let God work in my life. That, that, that step may be coming to conference. The, the, those moments are set up so that you can encounter God and it continue to fan the flame that is in you so that you can keep experiencing the more of God. When you decide, you can do what needs to be done. For some of us, you actually may need counseling. And can I tell you, it's okay. It's completely okay. We've hooked up with a local counseling uh, clinic in, in, our, in Nashville area, and we've, we've continued to talk, preach on how important counseling is. And we have, I'm not kidding you, probably over 100 people that are, are in counseling because we just continue to champion it because you need to talk. And you need to work out what's going on on the inside of you because it's a process, it's not a moment. And you need to know it's okay. And here's the other thing too, you need to know today it's okay to not be okay. 
We're not expecting you to come in. I think sometimes we create this Christianese mindset and come in and every, I'm blessed, too blessed to be stressed, brother. Everything's good, praise God, and you're dying on the inside. And we can't be real. We've got this mask, and nobody's open, and nobody's not here, because this church is amazing, but at other places, okay? At other places. But for some of you, you've been playing this church game. Checklist, cool. I made everybody think I'm good, and then you go home and you do what you do, whether it's behind a screen, whether it's a bottle, whether it's a pill. You do what you do. And you need help, and it's completely okay. And when you decide, help is there waiting for you. God will open the door, and there's, there's greater things on the other side of that wall that you keep slamming into. When you decide, you can do what needs to be done. The second thing is when you decide, you can remove the yoke of bondage from your neck. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, because it's not. It's a difficult process but one we have to step into. When you decide, you can remove the yoke that's from around your neck. And the third one, when you decide, you can experience more. You can experience more. Ephesians 3, can we have the band come up? Is that, you can play something romantic. <laughs> Maybe some John Legend. It says Ephesians 3.14, and we're going to end with this. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, watch this, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Watch, it's not your measure. It's not your, because your measure is limited, his measure is not. It says to the measure of God, which means that there's more. I can only handle some more, but linked up with God, I can handle immeasurably more. And when I'm connected to him, he has immeasurably more for us and for me. And when you begin to understand that, it's like, well, this is the most I can get. No, there's more. There's more blessing and there's more financial blessing. There's more, there's more for your marriage today. There's more for your children today. There's more for your life today. And when we begin to understand that God has more for us and it's okay to continue to ask for it, God's not rejecting us when we come to him and ask him, God, would you bless me? Would you open up the doors? Would you give me more? Because I need more of you. He's not saying, how dare you? He's saying, come on, finally, somebody is going to believe for more today. It's his measure and not ours. And then it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. To his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I got to say this really quickly. When I was like 15, 16 years old, I went on a, a, a summer youth camp and it was on a houseboat. Insane. It was amazing. But we went cliff jumping one day and we were jumping off this cliff and cliff and I had several friends with me and we kept like incrementally growing the height of our, our cliff jumps and I did the small ones and I was fine but when we got up to the big ones I started to get a little nervous and we got to this one that I just really wasn't willing to do but my friends were like come on Todd you can do this come on come on come on come on you can do it and I'm like no 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 I can't no I, I don't want to and they're like come on so they they're jumping off this thing three or four times 
And so I kept doing the thing that we do, you know, one, two, nope, just kidding. And I'm like, you count down. They're like, one, two, nope, not doing it. And I finally had this really great idea. I was like, I'll take my flip-flops off and I will throw them down. And that will force me to jump. Well, didn't think it through that well. So I threw them down. There was a current, okay? And that current started to take my flip-flops further and further away from me. Now, it wasn't strong. It wasn't a strong current, but it was enough, okay? And so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, no, bad idea. And so I'm like, flip-flops are going away. And I'm like, okay, one, two, I'm not going to get my flip-flop, and it's getting further and further and further away, and uh, I got to get off this cliff, and I've realized that this is where most people are at, and they think their blessing is floating further and further and further away from them, and they're trying so desperately hard, and they're trying to move, and they're trying to get to this new place because they feel like if they wait too long, that flip-flop and that blessing is going to be so far away that I will never receive what I'm supposed to receive. And so then what happens, they get so far away that we will never do anything. And our life is stuck here because it's like God has nothing for me. I missed out on it and I can't get it back. And I do not believe that. I do not believe that God only has a moment for us. I believe he has a lifetime for us. It says in Lamentations, it says that God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They create, he's created new every morning. How great is his faithfulness. And the NLT says that his mercies never cease and that they are new every morning. Mercies, his goodness, his kindness, and his faithfulness. God's blessing is for you. It hasn't run out. It hasn't gotten away from you. It isn't out of your reach. It's right here for you. And if you will step into a new place of blessing, God will take you to new heights in this life that he has for you. Because, hear me, there is more for you. If there's one thing you can take, it's to take that statement. There's more for you. There's more for your life, for your marriage, for your finances, for your ministry, for this church, for this city. There is more for you today. And God wants to do immeasurably more. If you will just take a step today and walk into that. It's powerful. It's re- here's the thing. It's releasing. God wants to release something in you today. With every, every head up and every eye open, if you're saying, God, I want more of your blessing. I want more of this life that you have for me. I want, will you put both hands up? I want to pray over you this morning that God would immeasurably do more in your life. That God would open up the heavens to flood into your heart, into your life, into your families, into your marriages. Father, I know you see every single hands raised. God, I know you see every life and how important they are to you. God, I know the plans that you have for us. They are plans to prosper and not to harm, plans to give us hope and a future. So God, would you flood us with hope this morning? Would you flood us with purpose this morning? Would you flood us with your love this morning and the energy to take new steps today to experience the more of you? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. If you believe that with me, would you shout amen? Come on. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.